Welcome to another episode of First Downs and Fast Breaks. Today, we're going to be talking about the Pac-12 South, talking about the favorites, who could be contending, and the bottom dwellers of the division. Let's get right into it. Hello, today is Thursday, June 18th, and let's dive right into it with USC. The Trojans are a team that many people are picking to win the South. They're personally my pick to win the South, uh, but there's still a lot of questions surrounding them. Clay Helton somehow still has a job. Feels like for years now, USC fans have wanted him to be fired, just run out of town, and honestly, I'm not quite sure how he kept it after the Holiday Bowl defeat to Iowa. Uh, dropped them to eight and five, but there are still some positives to be coming out from uh, Los Angeles, mainly on the offensive side of the ball. Quarterback Kendon Slovis is going to be starting for a full year for the first time. Last year, he replaced JT Daniels uh, after an injury. So now with Slovis taking over full time in Graham Harrell's air raid offense, it should be a lot of fun to watch. The receivers he's thrown to are going to be absolutely amazing, starting with Amon Ross St. Brown. Slot receiver, he's going to be the main guy in this USC offense. Already accumulating 1,000 yards last season, it's going to be really fun to see what this guy can do this year. Maybe he can find himself into the first round of the NFL draft. We'll have to see, but the talent around him is also insane. Starting with Tyler Vons, a senior is going to be the new main outside receiver. He's replacing Michael Pittman, who's off to the NFL, drafted by the Annapolis Colts. He has big shoes to fill, but he did have 912 yards last season, so he should be a reliable number one, number two, depending on how you look at St. Brown for Kendon Slovis. And then the other guy will be Drake London. He's 6'5", so he's a big body. He's going to get a lot of attention. I would bet he does become the Trojans' main deep threat receiver. Because, I mean, when you're in a Graham Harrell offense, you're always just going to want to be chunking it downfield so that's what I bet London will be for the Trojans and then a guy to be looking out for is Brew McCoy after an interesting transfer kind of saga where he committed to USC signed his letter in intent then got out of it went to Texas didn't feel right went to USC spent last year was sick didn't get a single snap now it seems like he's healthy and he's ready to play Former five-star, I think he was a top-ten recruit in the entire country coming out that year. So watching him possibly get some playing time and see what he finally is all about is going to be a lot of fun to see. Kenan Slovis is just going to have all these weapons for the Trojans to be able to succeed left and right. The only issue is the offensive line may have a couple of questions. They have their guys, and they know kind of the five guys who are going to be playing. They seem to figure out who's playing where, who does what well, and how it can all work together. Because if that offensive line can come together, USC is legitimately going to be one of the best passing teams in the entire country. The weakness of the offense is to no fault of their own, and it is the running game. Harrell's offense, you're not really going to be running the ball that much. It's just pass, 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 try to get the ball downfield. So they do have four guys who are really going to be a running back by committee almost. They're going to be getting a decent amount of touches between all of them. So that would be considered the weakness of USC's offense, but they don't really care. They just want to pass the ball downfield as much as they possibly can, and if they can get a couple chunk plays on the ground, that's fine too. Going over to the defensive side of the ball is where things start to become a problem. They just hired a new defensive coordinator in Todd Orlando, and as somebody who has been watching a lot of Todd Orlando's defense the past three years, 
I am, you could say I'm a skeptic. He runs three three five, and just some of the decisions he has made at Texas the past couple of years is almost mind-boggling. The one that really steps out is the third and seventeen against LSU, where he sent six defenders, maybe seven, whatever. We focusing on the Trojans. There is actually a lot of experience on this USC team, starting with the defensive line. Almost the entire defensive line is coming back. Drake Jackson, he's going to be the top pass rusher. He had five and, five and a half sacks last season. He needs to be the guy that's getting to the quarterback consistently for USC. And then you're going to have Jay Tufele on the other side. So those two are going to be an important combination. And then Marlon Tupelotu up the middle. The USC defensive line isn't going to be terrible. Todd Orlando, three-man front, he will occasionally bring four. But those three guys are going to be the the players that need to step up because rushing the passer, especially in the Pac-12 South with some solid quarterbacks throughout, you're going to need to get to the quarterback as often as possible. Moving back to the linebackers, a position I see as absolutely critical in this kind of Todd Orlando defense is the Mike linebackers. There's going to be a competition between Jordan Iosefa and Pali Gaiotete. Mike linebacker is really important in a 3-3-5 defense because he is the guy that's going to need to be blowing things up. He's obviously in the middle. He needs to be meeting people at the line of scrimmage, helping in the run game, making sure they don't make it to the second level. There are only three people up front, and then the outside guys are either going to be blitzing by themselves or dropping into coverage. So the Mike linebacker is a really crucial position that USC needs to make sure they have under wraps. Otherwise, it is going to be another long defensive season. Toro Orlando's defense has been proven to be exposed before. So if they really can't figure out the Mike linebacker position, the defense is going to go off the rails again. Uh, they will use an outside linebacker to blitz. Uh, Abdul Malik McLean is more likely going to take that position for the Trojans. He's going to switch in you know, from coverage or maybe blitzing on the outside or coming in on the inside. It's a bunch of different ways Orlando can use his outside blitzing linebacker. So that'll be fun to see as well. Moving back to a secondary that was really young last season and it paid the price for it. It got torched all year. But most of those guys are back. Main two corners, Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele. Those are the two guys on the outside. They have those positions more or less locked down for the rest of the year. Then they're pretty thin at safety. The bright spot within the secondary is Talona Hurtaga. He is returning as the team's second leading tackler. And then Paulo Malo on the other side. So it's a big year coming up for this USC safety group. Uh, Craig Naviar is in charge of them. And so he and Todd Orlando need to make sure that the USC secondary is fine-tuned. Otherwise, again, it's going to be a long year in year one for Orlando's defense. Despite all the concerns, I am fairly high on USC. I do think they have a really good chance of winning the Pac-12 South and possibly even the Pac-12. The only issue is when you look at their schedule, it is kind of brutal. It never helps when you have a rivalry with a Power 5 team that isn't in your own conference, and that's the case for Notre Dame. Uh, luckily, they get them at home this year, last game of the season, so that'll it may even have some college football playoff implications depending on how good Notre Dame is. And then the front of the schedule, you got a big old Alabama. Uh, top five, probably top three team in the country is in Dallas. 
last time those two teams played in Dallas, it did not turn out well. So that is just maybe one of the worst starts you can have to a schedule. And you look at the road games they have at Stanford, at Utah, at Arizona, at UCLA, and then another one you need to circle at Oregon. So they do have three games against teams projected to be in the top 10 to start the season, and only one of them are at home. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they only lost one or two Pac-12 games, more than likely that game against Oregon, and then, you know, look at the road game against Utah. It wouldn't surprise me if they lose two games, but then they lose the Alabama and Notre Dame game. They're 8-4 and four and right back in a conference championship. So actually, that's what I think their floor is. I think at the very worst, they're losing to Alabama, Utah, Oregon, Notre Dame. But at the best, they're, they have chances against Notre Dame and Utah. I really don't see how they're going to beat Alabama or Oregon. They got destroyed by the Ducks in Los Angeles last season. But the Trojans are going to be a fun team to watch. The offense is going to be electric. It's just, can Todd Orlando fix the defense? Once that defense does become elite-ish, USC is going to be back at a national contender. The other team seen as the favorite in the Pac-12 South is Arizona State coming in under Herm Edwards. Like the Trojans, they have strength on the offensive side of the ball, and that is all through Jaden Daniels. He came in as a true freshman, started for the Sun Devils, and led him to a fantastic 8-5 season, which included a win against Oregon, uh, which kind of knocked him out of the college football playoff. But Daniels is going to be the guy once again for Arizona State. He does need to slightly improve his game. He wasn't as accurate as he could have been. But the one thing that he could do, he was composed. He would be there in the fourth quarter and just be cool as a cat and just be the leader on that Arizona State team, which is really impressive for such a young player. But the guys he's throwing to, he's losing Brandon Ayuk to the NFL. He got drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in the first round. And so Arizona State for the past couple years has just had a next man up mentality to be the main receiver. And that is going to be Frank Darby this year. He did have a really good season last year, but he was a clear number two. Now that he's a cl- now that he's clearly the number one, it's going to be a big year for him. And then Ricky Parasol, he's going to be Kind of what Darby was last season. He's going to be a big factor, but he's nowhere going to be the number one. They're just going to be throwing to Darby all the time. And then if you want some names to look out for, they have a couple four-star wide receivers coming through in the 2020 recruiting class, actually. Johnny Wilson and then Chad Johnson Jr., who is Chad Johnson's uh, son. He's going to be joining the program. And then Elijah Badger was listed as an athlete on 24-7, but Herm Edwards fully expects him to be a wide receiver. And they're going to be three guys to look out for, not only this year, but in the coming years uh, for Daniels. So the pass offense is going to be a lot of fun, but the position group I'm really excited to see is the running backs. Eno Benjamin is another big name that is off to the NFL, and now he is more than likely going to be replaced by two true freshmen. Starting with Daniel Nada, he is an all-around guy. He can block, he can obviously run the ball, but he's also going to be a real big threat out of the backfield that Daniels can just dump it off to. He has make-your-man-miss type of ability. And then the other guy is going to be DeMonte Trioman. He's a bigger, more physical back who's just going to pound the ball through the middle. And even when he got on campus, Arizona State coaches were kind of looking at each other. They're like, whoa, this guy's big, this guy's physical, we're going to 
be able to use him in some really fun situations. And then there are some more experienced guys, but those true freshmen are going to be the main contributors at the running back position. They'll split some time more likely, and it makes an Arizona State offense even younger. Now, the weakness by a mile for the Sun Devils last year was their offensive line. They were rated the worst offensive line in the Pac-12 last season. And it's mainly because Edwards decided to just start young guys, couple freshmen, and just roll with it. Consequences paid off. So the right side are going to be second year starting sophomores. Uh, their center was Pac-12 second team last season. And so to counteract that, they got two grad transfers in Kellen Deesh from Texas A&M and Henry Haddis from Stanford. So those two guys are probably going to be plugged in right away to just get some experience on the offensive line. That's really what is needed because, I mean, you have two sophomores on the right side and those guys can occupy the left and be more protective for Daniels. And then going over to the defensive side of the ball, it was quietly a really solid season for them over there. The offense got a lot of attention because of Daniels, but the defense does have a new defensive coordinator in Tony White. He was their cornerbacks coach. He got promoted within. And the first place he needs to look at is the defensive line. It was the weakness of an overall solid defense. It was, again, bottom of the Pac-12, much like their offensive line was. Jermaine Lowell is going to be the main pass rusher again. He led the team in sacks and tackles for loss last season. He just needs to repeat what he was doing and maybe even improve a little bit. And then DJ Davidson will be coming up through the middle at tackle. He just needs to have another disruptive season like he did last year. Uh, so as a whole, what the defensive line really struggled with was rushing the passer. Really solid against the run. They stopped opponents not allowing them to get really to the second level it's just the pass rush they need to get better for them to become a really solid good defensive line moving back to the linebackers they did lose their top two guys from last year Kalen Kirst Thomas graduated and there was rumors that Tyler Johnson was going to retire due to medical reasons but there have been rumors on the other side that they may not be true so nobody's really sure what's happening if he's back it could be a really big boost to them either way the group is going to be strong Merlin Robertson apparently he's lost some weight and it's going to be a lot faster he's going to be able to run at guys close them down faster make some better tackles and then Darian Butler he was the team captain and leading tackler last season so he's going to be the kind of anchor to the defense and then true freshman Jordan Banks is a name to look out for he enrolled early in the spring he's a four-star outside guy so the linebacking core does have a lot of guys that are going to be special and probably be the strong suit of the defense. As for a secondary, it should be a positive again. Kobe Williams is gone. He's off to the NFL. But the USC transfer Jack Jones is going to be the main guy. He led the team in interceptions last season. He's going to hopefully fill that role again. Chase Lucas, redshirt senior on the other side. So solid experience at corner. And then the depth at safety is really, really good. They have three or four guys who can play there. Evan Fields, he may be the nickel, but he's also probably going to be one of the main safeties. So the defense as a whole really surprised people in 2019. And then you have eight starters coming back. So 2020 should be more or less better. However, just like the Trojans, you have some questions about the schedule. BYU isn't exactly the easiest non-conference game. And then the week right after that, they have to go to USC. If they really do want to find themselves as a real Pac-12 south contender that's going to be a game they have to win and then road game at washington state isn't always easy they do have to go to oregon facing utah 
So there are some really tough games, and I see them exactly as the Trojans. I see their floors eight and four, maybe picking up losses against BYU, probably losing in Los Angeles. But I could also see them going ten and two. The issue is that USC game. Even if they go ten and two and they have a great season, that loss USC is probably going to leave them out of the Pac-12 championship game. I just don't know how they're going to be able to go in the into the Coliseum and pull out a win. So it's going to be a really good season for Arizona State, I think. It just may come up slightly short by not making the Pac-12 championship game, but who knows, maybe they're in a prime position to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Moving up north to the state of Utah, we're looking at a Ute team that is losing a lot of production, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Quarterback Tyler Huntley and running back Zach Moss have both left the program due to graduation, so that leaves the quarterback and running back competitions open, and the real the real storyline is at the quarterback position. There are two guys who are really going to be the main competitors, and it's between Jake Bentley and Cameron Rising. Both are transfer quarterbacks with Bentley coming from South Carolina and Rising coming from Texas. Bentley right now is seen as the favorite. He did get three years of playing time in Columbia. He accumulated 7,500 yards, 55 touchdowns, and did throw 32 interceptions in three years under Will Muschamp. He hurt his foot last season, had to get season-ending surgery and then was replaced by Ryan Holinsky so that's why he's transferring over he's a grad transfer so if he does win the job it will be a one-year deal rising on the other hand has yet to play a real significant snap he's going to be a redshirt sophomore after spending one year in Austin and then taking a redshirt in Utah last year so it's going to be an interesting battle Utah isn't afraid to start the younger guy when Tyler Huntley won this job he was only a sophomore and he beat out a redshirt senior so it'll be interesting to see how Kyle Winningham decides whose quarterback is going to be because Bentley, I mean, he transferred there with the expectation of starting one year and leaving maybe for the NFL. But if Rising's a better guy, he's not afraid to play him. As for the running back, it was expected to be a fairly interesting competition. Big shoes are being replaced. Zach Moss, he ran over 1,400 yards last season, easily their best player. And it was supposed to be between Devontae Henry Cole, Andrew Brumfield. But Henry Cole made an odd move and actually transferred to Arch Arch in-state rival BYU so now it really is Brumfield's position battle to lose he did get a decent amount of carries last season having 59 he was seen as the backup for the most part so he accumulated 236 yards last season so he should be the starting running back big shoes to replace with Zach Moss leaving but Utah should be fine at the running back position then you look at wide receiver is a deep experienced group Uh, they just need to step up the production. Bryce Thompson was their downfield guy last season. He did average 25 and a half yards per catch last year. So they already have a deep threat that whoever wins this quarterback competition, he's going to have somebody reliable downfield. The leading receiver last year was Brant Kuth. He was the tight end and he led in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. So he was obviously the main guy. But as a whole, the wide receiver group probably is going to get an increase in production. Last season with Huntley and Moss, they are more of a read option type. We're going to run the ball team. So now with a pocket passer, either in Bentley or Rising, the offense probably is going to throw the ball a little bit more. As for the offensive line, one name you need to look at is, is Bami Del Olaseni. He is going to be the left tackle this season, and he is listed at 6'7", 
332 pounds, so his size is clearly there. He just needs to fit the potential, and if he does, he could become a dominant left tackle for this Utah offensive line. Besides him, both guards and the center are returning, so the offensive line is going to be a strong suit in 2020 which is never a bad thing considering you are going to have a brand new starting quarterback and having decent pass protection is always going to help him mold into what he needs to be so Utah's offense can become as good as they were last year. Over on the defensive side, they do have quite the task in replacing Bradley and Nye on the defensive line. He had 13 sacks and was one of the best players in the entire Pac-12 last season. So now Mike Tafua is going to be going into this position. He had eight and a half tackles for loss and three sacks, and he was only a sophomore. So now as a main guy on the defensive line, we should see his numbers go up. Looking at the linebackers, Devin Lloyd was one of the best players on defense for Utah last season. And the best part is his role is only going to get better in 2020. He's going to improve. He's going to be a leader and just really solidify what this Utah defense pardon me, needs to be in 2020. He's going to have some help from Stanford transfer Sion Lund. So it is going to be a pretty solid linebacking group for the Utes next season, and I really think it's going to be the best part of that defense. Now, the secondary is probably the most intriguing part of the defense. Clark Phillips III, he's going to be a true freshman and going to slot right in as their best corner. He is the highest rated player Utah has ever signed in a recruiting class. He was a four-star, and I think on 24-7 sports, he was ranked .97 or something like that. So he's going to come in, make a huge impact right away. As for other guys at corner, they did play some games last season, but they weren't really starters. And looking at safety, R.J. Hubert, he's going to be the main guy. He didn't really start 2019 as one of their main safeties, but as the season went along, he became a starter, a regular. He even started in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. He did miss the Alamo Bowl against Texas due to an injury, but it's really looking like he's going to become the main guy in the secondary that's going to lead them. So overall, I'm not too concerned about the Utah defense. It will take a step back as it was one of the best defenses in the country last year, but it's not reason for concern, really. It should maintain its high level of play and it should be the reason they stay in contention in the Pac-12 South. I see them not really as a favorite, but I see them as a contender, a team that could push for a title, maybe if they get lucky winning a game here and there, because they do have a rather large schedule. Like Arizona State, they do have to play BYU, but for them, that is an annual rivalry, the Holy War. Utah always finds a way to win that game. It just doesn't matter what BYU does The Utes find a way to win. And then these road games they have to play are fairly difficult. They have to travel to Cal, a team I'm fairly high on. They have to travel to Arizona State, who I see as more of a favorite in the conference. At Washington State, Washington at home, USC at home, Oregon State at home. So their schedule is difficult. I think they do have a really good chance of being good. It's just the USC and Arizona State games are ones that really... I don't know about because Utah did lose to the Trojans last year, even with the third string quarterback and Slovis had even gotten hurt. So maybe they'll be out for revenge in that game. And then I just don't see them going down into Tempe and finding a way to get a win. So overall, I do see their floor being seven and five. Maybe if the quarterback situation doesn't work out the best and the defense regresses more than we thought it would. They also have the chance to return to somewhere where they were last year. I don't think they're going to be a college football playoff contender like they were this year but 10-2 definitely is possible they're just gonna have to 
find a way to win some tough games at Cal and Washington. So Utah, good team. Not really a favorite to win the Pac-12 South despite doing it last year, but they are going to be chasing USC and Arizona State for a spot in that Pac-12 championship game. A team I really wanted to position in the group of contenders in the Pac-12 South, but I just can't, is UCLA. Chip Kelly is just running this program that nobody's quite sure what's really going on. There's so many questions. He's not recruiting right. He's not getting the results he should be getting. It's just a weird situation in Los Angeles for the Bruins. The one thing that is going to be positive about the season, hopefully it's Dorian Thompson Robinson. I've been saying for a while now that he is a miniature Kyler Murray. He kind of has the same skill set. He just looks the same, wandering around the field. He can escape players. So he's going to be a quarterback next season, and he really needs to take a step up if UCLA's offense is going to be worth anything next season. He does have a deep wide receiver group. To work with Kyle Phillips is going to be the main guy coming out of the slot redshirt sophomore had 617 yards and five touchdowns he was easily the leader of the team in that department there are a lot of different guys who are going to battle for spots Chase Cota could be the main guy on the outside but UCLA has a lot of guys a wide receiver that they're that they personally feel comfortable with to put DTR in the best position possible. And it gets really interesting when you look at running back because Demetric Felton is a converted wide receiver. He does have big shoes to fill in Joshua Kelly, who did leave for the NFL. He was one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 last season. But Chip Kelly could be really experimental with him coming out of the backfield. He obviously has great hands as he was a wide receiver. He can run the ball. So it'd be interesting to see how Kelly uses him in DTR, maybe in some read option type scenarios or maybe just dumping it down over to Felton a few times a game. As for offensive line, there's really only one guy worth mentioning in Sean Ryan. He's going to be their left tackle. He's really the only guy that is going to be solved for them next season because the rest of the line is just seen as a group who has decent skill set but just a ton of potential that hasn't been tapped yet. It's definitely going to be their question mark going into the 2020 season, but I really don't want to spend that much time talking about the UCLA offense just because I mean, even if Chip Kelly's offense isn't as innovative as it was back in his day at Oregon, you kind of have to trust him there that he's going to get the job done. And it's not where their problems are really going to be. It's going to be more on the defensive side of the ball, which really struggled last year. And I think it's going to struggle again. The defensive line isn't that great. It is an experienced group, just needs more production. Tyler Manoa and Dante Jackson are going to be coming off the edge as seniors. Their best player is a defensive tackle in Osa Ogazua. He was their bright spot last season and probably this season. Ten tackles for loss last season. He did only have three and a half sacks, but that's normal for a defensive tackle. The outside guys need to step up. As for the linebackers, they're on the older side, but they're not that experienced. They're losing Chris Barnes, their most experienced guy. He was a huge part of the defense. So Bo Calvert and Lenai Taiola is going to try to replace him. He played both Mike and Will. So those two guys are going to switch off between those positions. Then you have Carl Jones. He's only six foot, but he can drop into coverage as an outside linebacker. And then the pass rushing outside linebacker are going to be a bunch of fresh faces. None of these guys really have a ton of experience just because Chris Barnes could do it all for them. So all four linebacking spots are kind of up in the air for what it's going to be like in 2020. No one really knows how they're going to perform or what level they're going to perform at. So it's a big question going into the season. And then the secondary really struggled last year allowed over 300 yards a game as a whole it's kind of like defensive line it's seen as a group that's really talented and has all the skill set to be there ton of potential it just hasn't put it all together that's exactly what they need to do this season otherwise it's going to be a real struggle for the Bruins they're a team I want to be really high on I just can't I just don't trust Chip Kelly 
in the direction he's bringing the program in. They're, it's sad to say, but they are going to be compared to the Oregon teams that Kelly was coaching back in the day. And they're just never going to get to that level just because he just refuses to recruit for some reason. UCLA isn't selling itself. It's not even the biggest program within its city. They have USC right across the street. They keep losing to USC. So it's going to be interesting how big of a leash UCLA athletic department does give Kelly if he does repeat another four and eight season who knows maybe he's out but I don't really know if they were going to want to pay that big of a buyout luckily another four and eight season probably isn't on the cards the non-conference last season was really difficult they had Cincinnati San Diego State and Oklahoma Cincinnati was one of the best group of five teams in the country San Diego State went 10-2 and in the regular season, and Oklahoma made the college football playoffs to one of the best teams in the country. This season, they swap them out for New Mexico State, Hawaii, and they do play San Diego State again. So that 4-8 and eight that they did go last season, the difference between Cincinnati, Oklahoma, New Mexico State, and Hawaii, that's the difference between bowl eligibility, which would be seen as a huge victory for UCLA this year. As for the conference schedule, I, I expect much of the same. They're probably not going to beat any of the top teams in USC, Arizona State, even Utah. They'll be lucky to get some wins against Colorado and Arizona and if they want to stay competitive at all not just be a bottom dweller of the entire Pac-12 those are two games they're going to have to win so UCLA it's just a team I really want to be high on and just tell you that they're going to take a step forward and become a premier program in college football again but I just can't see it I see them as high as seven of five and I mean, that's as good as they're going to get, but that would be seen as a good season for UCLA. So, so we'll see how 2020 goes. Chip Kelly probably isn't in the hot seat yet, but one more non-bowl type of season, and he could very well be on the hot seat. We have made it to the bottom of the division with Colorado and Arizona. Let me tell you, it is going to get rough from here. We're going to start with Colorado, who had maybe one of the wackiest off seasons I've ever seen. Head coach Mel Tucker tweeted out he was committed to the program. His first year, he went 5-7, and seven, had a big win against Nebraska, struggled in conference play, but had some things to build on, was looking good for the Colorado program. Two days later after that tweet, he's off to Michigan State, kind of betraying the program, kind of a weird move, but Colorado didn't really make an inspiring high after. Hired Carl Doyle, questionable hire he was a wide receiver coach for the Miami Dolphins uh, only other head coaching job was at UCLA where he went a career 35 and 27 only two winning seasons in five years to be fair to him one of those years was a 10 and 3 year but he didn't really have success outside of that only went one and three in bowl games and it's just not a hire I was really inspired by he could have gone with a bunch of different people but you went with some guy who hasn't been a head coach nearly a decade and was a wide receivers coach in the NFL. It doesn't get much better once you start looking at the roster. They have no quarterback this year. Steven Montez left. Uh, he was never really that special. So Tyler Little is the favorite right now. He's a three-star coming out of high school. He's going to be a junior. He has six career pass attempts, and that's as much as he has his name. Dark horse for the competition is Brandon Lewis. He is a three-star quarterback, fre true freshman, from the state of Texas. He had 12,000 total yards last season with 3,200 of those coming on the ground. The only problem is his competition wasn't for it. It's not the best in the state of Texas, but he should be decent competition going into year one. It's going to be an interesting quarterback battle if they want to go with a guy who's been in the program for a little bit or if they want to start fresh with a freshman quarterback and try to start anew. If there is going to be a bright spot on this Colorado team, it is going to be at the running back position. They ran it quite a lot last season. They had 37 attempts. Alex Fontenot, 875 yards. He looks like an agile, explosive runner, so he'll do a little bit of damage, but 
I mean, that's as far as the Colorado offense is going to go. He's the bright spot. Wide receiver is going to be a position group I am most intrigued to see because Doral is wide receiver's coach and their offensive coordinator, Darren Shiverini, was promoted from wide receiver coach last year. So the top two guys are gone. LaVisca Chenault was a star. Uh, got drafted high in the NFL. So he's going to be really tough to replace. But Katie Nixon is going to be the guy. He's a senior. He is shorter, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, but he is going to play on the outside. He had 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns throughout his entire career. Past him, Dimitri Stanley is the only other experienced guy. He'll be the number two receiver. Everything else is going to be an open competition, and Doral is going to figure out where receivers fit best and how they can use them. Offensive line isn't that experienced. They have a new left tackle and right guard. Everyone else is back. So it's a good not great group they're going to be protecting a brand new quarterback which is always a tough position to be in I really expect some struggles from Colorado on offense this season they struggled last year even with great player like LaVista Chanel and an experienced quarterback and Steven Montez so it's going to be interesting to see how Doral shapes this offense if it's going to be more of a wide open spread type offense or if it's going to be a ground and pound type of game that Tucker brought to Boulder If there is any hope at all for this Colorado team, it is on the defensive side of the ball. They have 10-ish starters returning. Starts with Nate Landman. He's a linebacking core basically by himself. He was a leading tackler and tackle for Lost Guy last year. He's really going to be the main guy in the front seven because the defensive line is a weird position right now. Jalen Sammy, he's their best guy at defensive tackle second full year of being a starter and then pass rush is where they really struggled Carson Walls is going to be the main guy but he only had three sacks last season he really needs to break out Terrence Lang and Mustafa Johnson they're going to be okay they combine for 10 sacks total so they'll be on the other side of Wells and then there is one guy Antonio Aflano who was at Alabama former five-star prospect he got kicked off the Alabama team transferred over to Colorado so he could work with Mel Tucker but now he isn't enrolled in the school, and nobody's quite sure what's going on with him. So if he does get to play for the Buffs, hopefully that potential does get reached, but it doesn't look like he's going to be on the team next season. Going to the secondary, it is going to be a weird kind of group, especially at the cornerback position. Their top two guys are coming off injuries, and that forced two freshmen to step up last year. So they're going to have to decide between the guys who do have a little experience for off injuries or freshmen. And then as for the Nickelback or other guys competing for time on the outside, Nigel Bethel, he is a transfer from Miami, Florida. So it's going to be a weird, weird transition from Mel Tucker, who was a defensive guy. Now they got to retool the defense. And sadly, even if they are able to retool the defense, I don't right. see it as being enough to be a real competitor, even being competitive in games. Their schedule's tough. They have to go to Colorado State. That rivalry hasn't been played in a home-and-home format since Colorado State was named Colorado A&M. So it's been a long time. Speaking of A&M, they do have to travel to Aggieland this year for non-conference. So that's probably going to be a problem. Fresno State isn't really a pushover either. So the non-conference is tough. And then the only game in the conference I see them being competitive in is Arizona, the team we're going to talk about next. But it is in Tucson. So I'm really struggling to find where they're going to pick up a win. If you want to maybe argue UCLA at home, I would maybe entertain that. Besides that, I am not liking their chances. They could be as bad as 2-10 and 10 this year. It's, it's not going to be pretty for Colorado. 
Lucky for Colorado, Arizona exists. Unlucky for Arizona, Kevin Sumlin is still their head coach. This guy is taking this program in such a bad direction, it's kind of painful to watch. He took Khalil Tate, one of the most exciting quarterbacks in all of college football, and basically ruined him. He wanted to make him a pocket passer, so good for Sumlin. Now he has a pocket passer in Grant Gunnell. He's 6'6", 225. He showed promise at times last season. He surprisingly got a lot of snaps and a lot of attempts in the offense. He just needs time to develop. Being rusher, J.J. Taylor gone. He didn't even rush for 1,000 yards. Only 721, five touchdowns. Gary Brightwell is going to be the main guy. Then they have two other guys in Nathan Tilford and Bam Smith, who all averaged six yards a carry last year. The leading receiver in Jameer Joyner is back, but the the receiving core is spread out too much. There's not really a star. They do have a grad transfer in Brendan Schuler coming in, but he also plays on the defensive side of the ball. Never had more than 275 yards within a single season, and he's coming off a broken foot, so he's not going to be that big of a factor for this offense. Arizona just needs to find one guy who they can rely on, and hopefully Joyner is that. The offense yeah. isn't that great, but it's still someone's strong suit if he has a strong suit, so that's not really a problem. It's the defense. In the last episode, I mentioned how Washington State had the worst defense in the Pac-12. Boy, was I wrong. It was Arizona. They gave up 471 yards per game, second most in the entire conference through the air, and the most on the ground. It was awful. They gave up at least 35 a game on average. They fired their defensive coordinator, Marcel Yates, in the middle of the season after giving up 41 points in three consecutive games. As a team, Arizona only gave up less than 30 points three different times that is just terrible luckily i don't know if that's luckily but most of the defense is back colin schuler tony fields are the names to know on the defense especially a linebacker they're going to be the two guys everything besides that is not that great defensive mvp from last season lorenzo burns is back led the team interceptions pass breakups he's really the only glimmer of hope in the secondary and the defensive line is just not that great it's it all comes down to kevin Sullivan. he's just done Horrible things to this program since he's taken over. Gruden class rankings 11, 11, and 12. He has not finished outside the bottom three in recruiting since he has taken over. And so Arizona is just in a bad place. I really hope they fire someone. It would be cool to see Arizona kind of on the rise at the same time as Arizona State. So there could be a good rivalry brewing. But someone's turning them into a doormat of a program in the Pac-12. There's no way this team wins more than four games. They're lucky they get teams like Hawaii and Portland State in the non-conference. And then they do get Tech, who's a bottom bottom team in the Big 12, and then Colorado at home. And those are the only four games I can realistically see them winning. And who knows, maybe Colorado Seals win. And being in Lubbock is always scary. So that's no promise either. It's just Arizona, I cannot stress how not good they're going to be this year it's going to be a real struggle hopefully hopefully they fire kevin Sumlin after the year sorry for being so hard on you kevin you just got to do a better job recruiting if you want to turn a program around anyway that's the end of our show that does wrap up our pac-12 preview for this year next week we will be previewing everyone's favorite midweek conference the mac i'm going to give you all the information you need to know so you can be betting on those midweek matching games see y'all